Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Killar jag så bra som mig Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Yes, welcome everybody to the second half of today, Sunday, November 27th episode of Keeping Carlson, hosted by myself, Elon Dubrovsky, and my very good friend and fantasy hockey connoisseur, Brian Kahn, where we're going to continue to go over all of the players who did really well on Friday and Saturday, and then a bunch of other guys, including one guy who's doing really well right now. I take it all back, everything I said about Mark Shifley, because he just scored a goal from his new line, which Brian said rudely that it's decisively the second line. No, it's the top line, because that's Mark Shifley, assisted by Wheeler and Cole Perfetti. So congratulations, 5-2 to two now for the Jets. So a nice mid-game update here. <laughs> you know, you fully agreed with me and had offered no pushback on the last part, like part one, which was literally 10 minutes ago. I'm going to edit that. People won't ever hear that. <laughs> okay. All gonna, right. Wait, let me record it right now, okay? Brian, I disagree. I think that that line is actually the the clear first line. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so we'll cut that in later. By the way, uh, looking at this box score of Winnipeg and Chicago, how is it that Caleb Jones could only get points when he's not, like, taking over for his brother on the top power play? Like, everyone got excited. Well, I mean, that's kind of rude to say, but when Seth Jones got injured, it looked like a great opportunity for Caleb Jones, and then he turned into a whole dud, and now he just, he's a power play assist from, I guess, the second power play today, and he also had an assist in the last game. Maybe it's just good for him to not have as much responsibility. Maybe it was like too much pressure for the young lad. So, I don't know, maybe now's the time to go back and look at Caleb Jones, or not, but interesting to see him get another point. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I'm revisiting Caleb Jones, but good for him getting another point. Do you know he and Seth took penalties nine seconds apart earlier tonight? So they got uh, they got some quality time in the penalty box. I wonder if they're friends. I guess there's probably ways to find out. There's probably like if we were like Chicago Blackhawks fans, we'd probably see interviews of them and like. But if they weren't friends, they'd probably have to pretend to be right because it would be so awkward otherwise. But like some brothers aren't great friends. Have you ever watched Succession? A lot of strife between those brothers. Anyway. Yeah, I, I haven't. <laughs> you haven't, of course. Okay. All right. So let's get back to uh, some hockey talk here. Uh, well, we were talking about hockey. We we're talking about Seth and Caleb Jones. But okay. Uh, what are we doing here? We're going through all of the players who did well over the past couple of days. I, I got a list. It's already out, to, out of date, but it, this was like the list of top scores from Friday and Saturday. Next on the list, Brian, get this. Ryan Paling. Do the listeners know what team Ryan Paling is on? I remember him as a guy who scored a goal in like his only game of the season for the Habs one year. And then yeah, the next towards year, the end of the season and like and a the, debut. And then I was like, or maybe it was more than a goal. Maybe it was like a hat trick. I don't know what it was. Like he had a really good game. He had a big game. And then like the next year when I, whenever I would be sorting the players by fantasy points per game, he was like at the top of the list because of his like goal. Yeah, from hat the trick, season. three goals on three shots back in uh, 2018, 19 as a 20 year old with the Montreal Canadians. But he's not there anymore. Yeah. Well, no. Now he's on the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's on the fourth line. And he scored two versus Philly on Friday. So good for him. No points on Saturday. Uh, I'm assuming we're not going to dive too deep into Ryan Playling. He's playing on a line with Bluger and Archibald, who also have gotten some points lately. But I think for Pittsburgh's sake, they probably want to get their offense from other lines and save line four to be more of an energy line or whatever they do. I can't imagine we're expecting that uh, fourth line to continue rolling like they were last week. No. 
Okay. No, uh, this is like similar to like Arthur Kaliev, like doing really great on well, the fourth line, except maybe a little <laughs> less because like these guys don't even really have like a pedigree or upside. Yeah, I'm actually into Kaliev or, as, or upward mobility through the depth chart. So yeah, exactly. it's, it's it's nice of you to shut them out when we could. Okay, there you go. That's what the benefit is of doing a show like this, where I just like I'm forced to discuss every player in this list that was generated by the stats. We get to throw out some new names, uh, though some old names are Brian Rust, a name that we seem to mention every week. But there were a couple of games where Jeff Petrie jumped up to the top power play, bumping Brian Rust. When like the last time we talked about him, it was like, well, yeah, he stinks lately, but at least he's on the top power play, so he's not going to go pointless forever. Then like a game later, he was like off the top power play. Looks like he was back on the top power play. So there you go for your people who still up Brian Rust there's a glimmer of hope in that game versus Toronto not that it helped much like Pittsburgh got defeated by Toronto so maybe they'll decide to change things Rust is pointless in four games he only has 10 points in 22 games on the season I feel like maybe a lot of people are thinking I wish I traded him a while ago because now probably his value is in the toilet and you have to make that tough choice of whether to just drop him outright which would sting because you spent a lot of draft capital on him but i think the trade value is all gone unless brian maybe brian will i I don't know i I guess we can't just like dive into brian rust every episode but i feel like i just need to keep bringing him up until you say forget about him right as you continue to say you still see reason for hope then i should probably just get an update from you because i'm sure all the people who have brian rush like well okay i'm gonna hold on brian so there's reason for hope so another week of no points (laughs) i feel terrible i feel terrible when brian rush was moved we said so basically the line from the last time we talked about him was still looks okay still has his deployment if he falls off the top power play i'd be worried but that hasn't happened yet and then it happened. So I, I am sorry to anybody who was on the fence. It's like, you know what? I'll be a little more patient. Although hopefully, like I didn't, yeah. I, we didn't know he was about to get booted from the top power play, of course. If we did, we would have said get rid of him. Um, but things definitely went from bad to worse for anyone with Brian Rust. I don't think it's a death knell for his value. But yeah, if you weren't sweating before about Brian Rust, you really are now. Elon, what would, uh, what would you do? If you have Brian Rust. I mean, I, the way things are going for me this year, I would probably drop him and then he would be amazing. I got, so wait, you would drop him? You would like, drop I don't know. Brian Rust? Well, I don't know. Would you trade I, him for Blake Wheeler? Him. Yeah, I was telling Brian, I think off the air, that I traded away Blake Wheeler as like a throw in. Like it was like basically the trade was I traded Line A for Jeff Skinner because I need help now because my team stinks. And then like I needed to give an extra player uh, – and anyway, and I, you know, I, it was with Jordan. And he was like, just give me any forward. And I looked at my roster. And I was like, oh, I, well, whatever. Like, Wheeler's doing nothing. And I picked him up as a free agent just recently anyway. So I'll just throw in Wheeler. And now he's had, like, two points in each of his last couple games. So just yeah, frustrating. After, <laughs> after three points in eight games. So like, But maybe this is exactly what will happen with Brian Rust, except yeah. Rust's upside is better. He's going to need to get back on that top power play, though. So yeah, yeah, I, I don't know if you really answered. Like, what would you like, what look, would you look, do? Look, I see like a Peugeot in free agency who is on the top power play and has been producing lately. I feel like my brain tells me stop looking at the name of the player and just look at his production and look at his deployment. And like, I look at it and say like, I think Peugeot looks better. So I would probably consider like dropping like a rust for like a Peugeot. And then, you know, it would turn out to be a big mistake probably because, you know, <laughs> a couple months from now, it'd be like Peugeot's back in free agency. I was thinking Brian, about yeah. you though. Like I, I was thinking about how quick you are to cut ties with players like quicker than me. And I think there's like, there's two parts to this strategy, right? Like you, you can afford to cut ties on players early 
or a little ahead of the curve, which sometimes will burn you and sometimes it will reward you. But you can do it if you're really quick and strong at getting that next thing onto your roster and making use of that roster spot. Like it's a two part strategy. Like I have tried it, Elon. I've tried to be less patient with players to sort of emulate your move a little. And uh, but I, I have found that I'm actually not quick enough or accurate enough to to get the replacement as well yeah so there's a lot of luck to it right like i feel like sometimes it works so well last year like every move i made worked out perfectly and i went tier one of the cupful and like that's what needs to happen yeah like last year you know i grabbed like whatever brat and like all these guys who turned out to be amazing this year like i grabbed tatar i dropped like a pretty good player to get tatar and tatar now totally disappeared who who's who's thomas i dropped kuzmenko to get someone and he's yeah. a, he's a superstar as you know like some some seasons it works yeah. some season you know but whatever i have a lot of excuses for this season because whatever Wierenski's injured for the year and i had a baby so i'm just going to say that it's not my fault <laughs> for yeah you've got you've got your excuses the the most important thing in fantasy hockey or hockey is first your roster and second your excuses if it doesn't go well you got to have injuries you got to have life circumstances that you can trot out as needed um i will mention by the way to anybody who's like really fretting over brian rust he did oh yeah play, we're talking about brian rust he, he <laughs> played he played uh 78 seconds like he played on the majority of the time that the top unit was on no i told you brian in the last game he got back on that's what i'm saying but also they lost that game and i wouldn't be surprised if now maybe they try because petrie's pretty good maybe just put petrie back there i don't know what's gonna happen but like uh, rust has like two the thing with rust also is he's taking some shots right like he had two shots versus toronto two shots versus philly like imagine one of those shots went in the net we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Yeah, okay, I guess exactly. Brian Rust is back. So maybe that's exactly. a reason to hold. But it's very concerning. I'd like him better if he was playing with Crosby. Who's amazing? Actually, I have Crosby on this list at some point. Let's, yeah, Let's talk about Crosby for a sec. Having a monster season up to 29 points in 22 games. I took a look. So that puts him at 108-point pace. If he continue, if he ends up with 108 points, that would be his highest pace. Okay, just pace. Since 2012-2013, where he had a higher point pace. But it was only in 36 games. There was like a couple years in a row where Crosby didn't play that much. And he was pacing for well above 108 points. But, you know, you have to go back like over a decade to an actual season where he played like a significant number of games and then paced for what he's doing now. So very impressive, right? I guess some of it could go to like that was more of a dead puck era and now is more of a high scoring era. So I'm not saying that like today's Sidney Crosby is better than like 10 years ago, Sidney Crosby. But it's still very impressive, right? To see like a 35 plus player just still being so elite in the league. I love it. Great, great stuff, Sid the Kid. Yeah, Sid, Sid the is he always going to be Sid the Kid? I feel like it's awkward to call him the kid at this I mean, point. He's still younger than me, so I could always call him the kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, he yeah, and he looks great too. Like there's some unsustainability for Crosby. Like he's converting at twice his usual shooting percentage at five on five, so he has ten goals on forty one five on five shots instead of like five or six. But at the same time, he's freaking Sidney Crosby, and this is a guy that we give the benefit of the doubt whenever he shows that he's exceeding expectations. He's also like under the hood looks so good that he's putting up. Elon, you mentioned that last season, what was it, like a decade ago, where he had like the, the best poet total that he's had since pacing for what he's at right now. That was a mangled sentence. But what I'm trying to say is uh, Crosby has his highest individual expected goals rates at five on five in a decade. Like He has found another gear, obviously, because he's Sidney Crosby. Um, and by the way, he's also had some unfortunate numbers on the power play, which is one reason that Rust was shuttled off. That Penguins power play has not been so successful this year. Something's a little broken. I think it'll be fixed. And I think all of this washes out to Crosby being, you know, still being that 100-point dominant player. This guy, 
He just keeps doing it year after year. I remember, Elon, do you remember in the early days of the podcast, one of the questions we got was like, at what point do you think Sidney Crosby will stop being elite? This -hmm. was like in like 2013. Yeah, it was like, you know, in keeper leagues, when do you start drafting other people ahead of Crosby? (laughs) And we we said like, you know, maybe around, I think our answer was 32, 33. Well, he is 35 years old. And like you said, Elon, uh, on his highest point pace and his highest expected goals rates uh, of the decade. Never count Sid out. Wow. He is very good. But okay, back to next on the list. So I think I started this conversation talking about Ryan Paling. So we're back at 14 out of 15 on the list. Braden Point, let's go to Tampa Bay. Uh, just one game for the Friday. Most of these people played two games over Friday and Saturday, but Point just needed one game to get to the top of this list. Uh, what a game, right? Two goals and one assist versus St. Louis in the 5-2 win on Friday. That brought him to over point per game on the season. 21 points in 20 games. Uh, point has only been around a 70-ish point guy these past couple of years. So, Brian, he's taking this step up after he brought his value down to hell. You know, this is like a, a kind of a gift Braden Point gave to people who drafted him this year because he had those down years making people feel like uh, he's not worth drafting so high. Then whoever got him gets a guy playing with Kucherov having an amazing season. I'm curious to know, do you think that this Braden point that we're seeing this year is the real deal? Or do you think he's going to fall back to the 70 ish point guy? To me, I'll just throw it out there. I think the fact that he's playing with a healthy Kucherov is like a big part of the difference. And so as long as Kucherov is healthy, it's hard to imagine point not keeping up at least point per game. I think that definitely helps Braden point. Like he's been getting more secondary assists than usual at five on five, which you could say might be luck or it might not be noise like maybe he deserves a a bunch of them and maybe that has to do with playing with Kucherov because you might be two passes away from assisting on a goal at any given moment with a healthy Kucherov his points participation is also a little high but last year Braden Point's points participation was way too low like he was avoiding or at least it looks like he was avoiding being involved in goal scoring opportunities like oh you guys take all the points I, I don't want any he wasn't actually doing that um but Anyway, the range that we've seen from him now is 70 to 80 points. That's that's the number that we can reliably... It's not a huge range, right? And variance is going to push point towards one end of that range or the other. And I'd put him at the higher end of that. So I like what I'm seeing from point this year. I'm a believer that he is a, a point-per-game player under regular circumstances, which it feels like is what we're seeing this year. Okay, and I guess it's that time of the year again. Like, I feel like every year where we bring up Alex Killorn and I'm like, man, why didn't I grab him out of free agency when I had the chance? Why didn't I draft this guy? He's like, I don't know. Like he always ends up going on a run like this. And now he has a goal and an assist in his last game versus St. Louis that brought him to nine points in his last six games. He's now got 17 points in 20 games on the season. I'm talking about Alex Killorn here. He's playing on, I guess the second line or, you know, whatever the line one B with, with Stamkos uh, and Nick Paul at even strength and Killorn is on the top power play. He's only 20, 25% rostered on Yahoo. I mean, I feel like a guy who's on a line and power play with Stamkos, who's, you know, 17 points in 20 games, should be rostered in higher than 25% of leagues. I, I just saw him taken, Brian, in our joint league, the Babupful, and I thought to myself, wait, Killorn was in free agency? I wish I, I should have grabbed him. Oh, why do I have whoever I have? I grabbed TJ Oshie and I was feeling really smart about it, but I think I'd rather have Killorn. I don't know. 
Maybe is that a weird player to ask you to compare to? Maybe, what do you think? I know you're always down. Every year I ask you about Killorn, and you always say he's no big deal and he'll cool no, off. And I don't always right. say you that. Don't say that. Okay. Like I, my tune has changed a little. That, that was the early Killorn, and then it sort of shifted to like, yeah, this guy can be um, rosterable for stretches of time, especially depending on his power play role. Um, power play one is a new development for Killorn this year. He was there for the first few games of the season, then got kicked off. Um, so let's see if Killorn can hold on there. He's bumped Brandon Hagel. So it's kind of like the Dawson Mercer, Nathan Bastian situation in New Jersey, where it feels like Mercer is, has an easier route to staying on top power play than Killorn, but Hagel isn't an insurmountable bar to clear for Killorn to actually get onto that top unit. Um, I'd, but at the same time, even if, if Killorn does stay on the top unit, I, I keep in mind that in the past, Killorn from there has been like a 50 to 60 point guy, which is good. Um, but that feels like that's the best case scenario. Although I, I don't know why I started that with like a negative frame. That's good. That's good for someone you grabbed at a free agency. Um, but at the same time, Elon, I don't think you were so foolish for not jumping on Killorn. He's playing over his head right now at five on five, high secondary assist rate for one, but he's also scored six times on 19 shots at five on on five that's a 32 percent shooting success rate and uh most recently like while you've you know passed on adding alex Kalorn, he's notched six goals on 22 shots total in his last 12 games so it's not even two shots per game but he's averaging a goal every other game so like this is not uh it feels bad but i don't think you should like you were right to not rush to grab him. I think he's always worth a look. Like, you should always be interested when he appears in free agency. But I don't think you would have imagined him putting up the run that he's put up now, especially because his shot rates have dropped a notable amount, too. His expected goals rates have fallen as well. Um, Killorn should definitely be more than 25% rostered just by virtue of being on the top power play. And it's a bummer to miss out on the run if you did. But take some consolation that I do. I think... You could have reason, reasonably seen Killorn going on this kind of tear and getting power play one deployment. While he's on it, though, and while he's there, yeah, I'd say he's rosterable in most situations. Like, I'd want him on my cupful team. Yeah, I was talking about someone else who was 25% rostered. Oh, yeah, Kevin Hayes. Uh, so they're both around the same percent rostered right I now. I would take Hayes for sure, though. You take Hayes for sure. Yeah. Y- you? Even the position eligibility. I don't know. I guess it probably Hayes. But I don't know. Killorn, uh, I like the spot he's in right now. And I feel like a bigger chance for a big game just because you're playing with Steven Stamkos. And I guess we should mention Nick Paul, right? He's like also there on this line. He's not on the top power play, but he is definitely not nothing. Like Nick Paul has been producing a lot lately. And he's also someone that I would take a look at. If Killer, I would take Killer in first, but if he's taken and you want to get in on some of this Tampa Bay offense, Nick Paul's up to now 15 points in 20 games. He's had two straight multi-point games. So yeah, I like him. I like him too. Tampa's a good team. They're a good team. Yeah. <laughs> they they could be we didn't name them as one of the Eastern Cup contenders, but they're they're in there for they're sure. Always there. Plus who knows what they'll do with the trade deadline. Uh okay, so next up here in this list, uh we have so I brought up uh Braden Point. Next is Dawson Mercer, who we already discussed, had a great couple of games, top line, top power play. I think he's very close to like pause the pod, but I guess not pause the pod. He's not pause the pod, but he's someone that you should be very highly considering uh, while he's playing with Jack Hughes. Uh, next up, Zach Parisi, Brock Nelson. We talked about them. Next, Jacob Chikrin. Okay. Tulip Queen. Uh, his, I, you know, I, like I said, I posted in the Keeping Carlson Discord, the patron-only Discord. That's a perk we give to the patrons, but really it's a perk they give to us. 
the privilege of hanging out with all of our great patrons in the Discord. Uh, and yeah, Tulip Queen just wrote, Chicken, 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 please. I want to know thoughts about his value after a trade. And if you think he's more valuable just staying put, or if you think that if you think the Yotes can keep up the good play. So yeah, it's a very good question, actually. So Brian, Jacob Chikrin, back from injury, has been so great. Uh, no points today, but another, what was it, like four shots or something in this loss to Minnesota, which they probably would have won if they put Vemelka in instead of Connor Ingram. I'm a little salty about that. I really could have used that Vemelka start in my couple matchup. Uh, but yeah, I could have also used a point from Jacob Chikrin, but he didn't get a point. He had four shots, uh, a block, Whatever. So he, you know, he did his part. Uh, aside from putting something behind, who played for Minnesota? Oh, Mark Andre Fleury's back. Cool. All right. Uh, but yeah, Tulip Queen's question is good because like Chikrin has gotten on the top power play with Arizona, which is good. Last year, remember he couldn't get that spot. Like uh, it was, you know, Goss Bear there, and he wouldn't share. But now they're sharing the defensive spots on the top power play. They're both there. Then along with Schmaltz and Keller and who? Who's the other one? I don't even remember at this point. Someone else is over on that top power play in Arizona. Is it, is it Travis Boyd? <laughs> Sometimes. Actually, yeah, it is not. Lawson oh, no, Krause, Matthias Mich- Oh, wait. No, it looks like they Schmaltz, were... Sw- Schmaltz, Boyd, Keller, Gosses, Bear, Shikrin. Okay, there you go. And yeah. I think at one point uh, it was that uh, high pedigree guy. I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember his name. That the guy Barrett that got- Hayden? No, not him. Like a more uh, recent Dylan one. Dylan Gunther. Yeah, Gunther. I think he was there at one point. Anyway, whatever. We're talking about Jacob Chikrin. Do you think at this point, if you have Chikrin in fantasy, are you like, can't wait, so excited for him to get traded? Or are you kind of like, I feel like really good with how he's doing right now. Like I'm happy for him to just stay with Arizona as long as possible. Um, I don't really have much of a feeling on Chikrin being traded. Like I want him to be in a power play, top power play role where he's getting lots of minutes. And that's what's happening right now, right? Chikrin is getting showcased. The team, like the Coyotes are motivated to give him lots of minutes and opportunity so that he can crush it and attract a big return for suitors. And Chikrin is also motivated to do well because the better he plays, the more likely it is that someone's going to pay the price that Arizona's requiring for him to to get moved, which seems to be the end goal for Chikrin and the Coyotes. So it's nice to see him back with a vengeance. 18 shots in three games is awesome from Chikrin. Great to see him land back on the top power play unit, even though, like, you know, we're like, oh, well, Shane Gustafsbear is quarterbacking it. That's not going to change. But they did, uh, they did what a couple other teams have done this year it's funny how this used do you remember how normal it was elon dev three forwards two defensemen no questions there were two defensemen on the top power play and now that whenever we see a second defense on the top oh this is novel what an interesting idea jeff petrie on the top unit along with chris letang so what a what a change and like this is while we've been doing the show too well, like, did we have the op- like when you were playing NHL '93? Like, did you even have the option of putting four forwards? I don't on the think top so. Of I don't think that was possible. <laughs> That's funny. All right, so uh, since we're on Arizona, I do want to ask you about Janice Jerome Moser. JJ Moser, who keeps getting points. Like I thought, okay, now that Chikrin's back, he's gonna get bumped from the top power play. He's probably gonna slow down. But like, no, he keeps he scored today against Minnesota. He also scored in the last game versus Detroit. He's had had assists in each of the three games before that. Moser don't need no power play to produce. Uh, he's now up to 13 points in 20 games on the season, which is a 53 point pace. Again, for JJ Moser, a 60th overall pick a couple drafts ago. So uh, what do you think? Is he, is he like, are we at a point where we just have to accept that this guy's good and he's probably worth rostering in a lot of leagues or are you still not a believer? 
I don't know. It's almost like a J.J. Moser's a Connor Clifton parallel where, you know, you're producing and we don't fully understand why. Moser's seen some some nice shooting from the Coyotes while he's on the ice, which I don't expect to last. Moser also had a few top uh, top unit power play points. He had a few power plays from there. He's no longer there, so those won't be available to him anymore. You know, the numbers for Moser don't really suggest like that he fits the profile of an actually good offensive producer. So you could ride him and then eventually drop him, I assume. Um, but no need to get ahead of yourself. Let it play out. But I'll uh, I'll stay open-minded, Elon. But from what I'm seeing, I'm not. it doesn't match the sort of player type that does end up being someone that we really value. Yeah, and also the peripherals are very confusing because he like three games ago, he had seven blocks versus Carolina. And then the next two games, no blocks and no hits. But he scored a goal in each of those games. It's like he gives you one. Or the, I'll give you one. <laughs> You're not getting a goal and like peripherals for me. So fair enough, JJ. Just give me something. Uh, okay, next in the list here, we got Ryan O'Reilly, who I guess we already kind of talked about over in St. Louis. Then we have Adam Lowry, who, you know, I was like lamenting how Shifley wasn't getting points in Winnipeg. It's because all these points have been going to like the third line. Adam Lowry, who I think also got a point today right? Uh, I think I was complaining about how he was one of the... Yeah, he has an assist today. Uh, today's Sunday. But yeah, he had a big one-goal one-assist game versus Dallas in the 5-4 win on Friday. Before that, though, he was pointless in forever. He's a third-line center, second power play. I assume that we're just going to conclude that this is like a, you know, same as usual for Adam Lowry. We're not seeing any reason to bump him up any of our lists? No. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, bringing these guys up, here's another one that I, you're going to say no right away. Jarrett Anderson Dolan on LA uh, goal assist six shots in the win over San Jose on Friday. So a huge game for J a D over he's on LA, by the way, I don't know if I mentioned that seems like it's probably a, another Adam Lowry situation. who's pointless in a million games before this good game. He's on the fourth line with our friend, Arthur Kaliev, who has been able to produce from that line a little bit, but yeah, I, I'll once again, give you the opportunity to give a one word answer when asking if anyone should be interested in Jarrett Anderson Dolan. no, I am going to make it a, a pretty quick now for the reasons that you mostly just illustrated. We're good. We're good for Jared Anderson Dolan. Okay, but he does give us a springboard to talk about some more interesting players over on the LA Kings because it seems pretty official now. They're back to having Kevin Fiala on the top line and he's been on fire. He's amazing. Four points in his last two games. Uh, nice to see Adrian Kempe pick up assists in each of his last couple of games because he was being super quiet before. So it's probably good news for him, right? To have Fiala back as his line mate. Uh, Still, though, Kempe is only pacing for 46 points on the season. He had that amazing 57 points last year with a ton of goals, uh, but he's taking fewer shots this year. Is it possible that maybe last season was maybe just a bit of a blip? You know, it was a contract year. I don't know. Like, maybe is like around 50-ish point Kempe probably what we should be expecting? Or do you think there's reason to still expect him to get back to the heights of 2021-22? It's an interesting case because coming out of last season, we were looking at Kempe having emerged 35 goals and the general vibe was like, yeah, I think he can keep most of that up. And at five on five so far, Adrian Kempe has kept up his goal scoring and points at the same rate. He's scoring at the same rate at five on five as he was last year um, when he might have had a bit of a high shooting percentage, but looked mostly legit. And this season, the only difference we're seeing is that he's off last year's power play point pace by like five power play points. That's that's the difference between Adrian Kempe being a 57-point player last season and a 52-point player this season. Because if you take away those five power play points that we would have expected, um, 
that that's where he lands. So there's not a lot of fat to trim from Adrian Kempe's game. And, uh, you know, I was looking, okay, is he being denied opportunities elsewhere? Well, I found this really weird, Adrian Kempe. Like, this is my fact of the episode. If we had, a like, a stinger to play for this moment, the fact of the episode brought to you. We have no sponsor for it. But this, uh, this would be it. In six years of being a full-time NHLer, including this season so far, Adrian Kempe has only had an on-ice shooting percentage above 7% one time, and that was his sophomore season, so like the season farthest back from now. This is when like an average forward, probably in the top six, where Kempe wasn't always, but still an average forward, even in the top nine, should have like a... a, at least an eight-ish percent on ice shoot, shooting percentage. If all is reasonable, sometimes nine percent. If you're on a really good line, it can be above ten percent. But Adrian Kempe's on ice shooting percentages since his sophomore season: six percent, four percent, seven percent, six and a half percent, seven percent. I've never seen this before. Usually, if I see this number under a guy's on ice shooting percentage, I'm like, oh, regression's coming. Like the the team isn't scoring uh, on enough of their shots when he's on the ice. That's going to correct itself. Um, but I don't know if I can say that about Adrian Kempe. He has this record of being on the ice and the team not being able to score while he's there. And I can't believe I've never noticed this before. And I, I, I also guess I shouldn't expect it to regress at this point. When we've seen this happening for five consecutive years, maybe it's time to just be like, yeah, this is how it is for Adrian Kempe. And like I mentioned, his deployment has changed over the years for sure. But like, I don't know what to do with this. I'm not sure if we can regress that low on ice shooting percentage for Kempe that we would for anyone else. Anyway, the question for me about Kempe is whether he can reclaim those lost power play points. Again, just five, but it makes a, it eats a big part of his fantasy relevance. And my answer to that question is I'm not sure that Kempe can reclaim those lost power play points. That top unit has changed shape since last season, of course, with the addition of Fiala and Velarde. Uh, it looks from his shot locations that Kempe's maybe roaming a little less, um, which seemed to work well for him last season. And Kempe is definitely shooting less um, with the man advantage on that top unit. So even though Kempe looked legit enough last year, there just isn't a whole lot of cushion for him to drop off. I think Kempe is probably one of the leaner 35 goal scorers in the league. And uh, we're seeing the effects of that. Unfortunately, he's not looking like he's going to build off of last season. And even if he loses just a few points, it reminds me on a little bit of Anders Lee all those years back now when he was you know a really solid goal scorer but we were constantly asked should should we drop the guy it feels like Kempe is stepping into that kind of mold hmm, yeah I mean the deployment seems good but at the end of the day you want to get that production but like I said he has assists in each of his last couple of games so we'll see if that's something to build on but yeah we'll see if he can start putting some pucks in the net like he did last year uh once again uh, and then I guess still on LA and you mentioned him Velarde who's still on that top power play but since he, uh Fiala's back on line one that puts Velarde back on line three which makes this line three remember when we were actually interested in the likes of uh Carl Grundstrom and oh can I remember what it was uh Grundstrom and Lazat, I think uh, uh, that was the third line. And it was like, those yeah. guys were kind of interesting because they're playing with Fiala. Now they're back with Velarde, which to me is less interesting. No disrespect to Gabe Velarde. But yeah, he's still in the top power play. He actually scored a power play goal versus the Rangers earlier in the week. But that's his only point in his last eight games. So I think it's time to say snoozer alert, right? Like if people held on to Velarde, you've held on too long. And I don't think I'd be interested in it. Like I feel like Velarde is the same as Peugeot. 
probably to me. He's like not on a great line at even strength. Uh, he's on the top power play, so there's always the chance that he'll get a point from there, but not enough of a chance to make him worth rostering in all but the deepest of leagues as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I guess I, I'm not sure I have a whole lot to add since we last talked about him. Spot was like He was in a tenuous position. Even top line, top power play, he wasn't necessarily a fully rosterable player. And now that he's lost half of that deployment, like the top line part, then I'm definitely not terribly interested in him. I think you can let go. It's been long enough since he's been rewarding you for rostering him. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the goals, Velarde, but you can go. You could go follow like Shane Pinto, an early season exciting goal scorer that has since disappeared, even though he seems to have decent enough deployment. All right, Brian. So we've still got a little bit more to go. Some exciting teams. We're going to go to Boston. We're going to go to Minnesota. We're going to go to Vancouver. All that's still to come in in part four, I guess, if you want to consider each uh, half episode a part. But it's, I guess, part two of part two. Coming up in just a sec. What am I even doing? Let's just get to the ad break and finish this off. So you're listening to Keeping Carlson. And we're back. Welcome, everyone, as we continue our walk through the players who have done really well over the past few days, and then some of their compadres who are not doing as well. Like, for example, we talked about Jared Anderson Dolan, then right away switched over to Kempe and Velarde, who've been letting us down. We're going to do the same thing uh, over in Boston, okay, where first we're going to talk about someone doing very well. That's David Krejci, who had two goals versus Carolina recently. That brought him to eight points in his last five games and 17 points in 18 games on the season. Holy cow. Now, what an amazing welcome back to the NHL for David Krejci. He's been playing with Pasternak and Zaka lately on, I guess you call it the second line. It kind of feels rude almost to call a line with David Pasternak the second line. I'll call it like 1B or 1A plus. I don't know. Uh, I'm seeing that Krejci has a high shooting percentage. So Brian, does that tell you that this won't last? Or does the fact that you're like the world's biggest Krejci super fan uh, mean that you're going to somewhat find a reason to disregard the high shooting percentage and just say that this is going to ride and Krejci's awesome and he'll figure out a way to keep getting a point per game from this great deployment? No, I'm not going to say that. Even though you know my affinity for David Krejci clearly, I'm still a, a realist. And I see that David Krejci has taken 15 shots at five on five. Elon, do you know how many goals he's scored offhand on those 15 shots? 15! <laughs> no, not quite. That would be <laughs> amazing. Uh, no, still five. lower. Uh, five. Six. Six. Wow. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. That's a 40% shooting percentage, though. That's like four or five more than Krejci's usual shooting percentage would bring like five, four or five more goals out of like out of those six so take those away and Krejci's at like a 50 55 point pace he's feasting with the man advantage which is nice to see him getting consistent power play one time including eight power play points in 18 games for David Krejci I think that may actually be something that he could keep up but even with that you know, that 50, 55 point pace from above still technically stands. Uh, so I'd look at him as, as a low shooting 55 ish point guy. The X factor here is power play production. If he can keep that up, um, then, you know, maybe he's a low shooting 60 point guy, but if he can't, then he falls on the lower side of 55 points, like below that's the lower side of 55 points. So yes, I love David Krejci. I'm excited for the season he's having, but this is not sustainable. 40%. Sure. But did you say like he's going to end up with like 55 points? I'll take the over on that. Like, uh, like 50, rest of the season, 55 point pace. Nah, I say higher. Maybe like okay. 65, 70. He's playing with, he's playing with Pasternak. He's great. I, I, you know what I love? I like that. Uh, how can I call the second line uh, a lot when David Pasternak's on it? You're not even mentioning that Taylor Hall, former MVP 
also on no, the line. He's not. That's the thing. Yeah. Taylor Hall stinks. He's not even on that line. It's been, like I said, Pavel Zaka playing with the two of them, Brian. You got to get up to speed here. Taylor Hall has been on the third line with Charlie Coyle and former Ottawa Senators legend Nick Felino lately. He's also on the second power play. I was actually about to ask you about Taylor Hall, so I'm glad you brought him up. Uh, it's alert. almost like I knew. Uh, there you go. <laughs> oh, you knew some things. Uh, but yeah, are, are we snoozer alert uh, for Taylor Hall right now, similar to Gabe Velarde? Because I'm seeing pretty similar. Actually, I'm seeing Velarde has better deployment. He's uh, got the top power play at least. Yeah, forgive me for the slightly inaccurate segue. But for Taylor Hall on the third line, yeah, that's a big yuck. His last point came from the third line too with uh, not, not Nick Foligno. It was Charlie Coyle and Trent Frederick, of course, who we knew Taylor Hall would like have to play with at some point to get him going. I, I, Elon, I feel like there's a story to be written here about what's happened to Taylor Hall. There has to be one MVP and like a, a no doubt superstar to a middle six player and, and not a great deal of time either. It's like Boston got him seemingly on a discount. We're like, oh, of course, you know, Bergeron Marchand get older and Boston just adds Taylor Hall. No problem. And now it's like, I wonder if Boston would, get out of that contract if they could. They clearly are not enjoying the Taylor Hall experience. And I would like to understand it better than I do mm. right now. It's it's mystifying to me. Um, but in the meantime, yeah, like if he was dropped in the cupful, I'm not rushing to add him. And as I mentioned, I dropped him in another league myself. That's like fairly shallow, but still I would have definitely held on to him if I had some belief in him. But I, I just don't. Brutal. Yeah. I mean, maybe he'll get back on a good line and then you could get interested in him again. But I'd rather just wait for that to happen while he's in free agency rather than expect something to happen while he's still on line three and power play two. So just watch game day lines. Yeah, but I guess the one thing I'll maybe question that you said is like you're saying Boston's not enjoying the Taylor Hall experience. I mean, it's hard to know, right? I mean, he's a pretty solid guy to have on your third line and they are 18 and three on the season. So maybe they've, you know, it's working for them. But yeah, maybe you're saying that they could just spend less money and get the same production. I guess it would be fun to ask Ludo Shinzawa if like Boston is disappointed in Taylor Hall or if they're like super happy with what they're getting from him, even though like fantasy managers are not. Uh, but yeah, I guess the, the last news item here on Boston is that Linus Allmark suffered an upper body injury on Friday. Seems like the vibe on Twitter I'm getting is that he's just like day to day, not like too serious. Maybe he'll miss a game or two. Uh, so it might not be a big deal, though. You never know, right? Like it could always get aggravated and he could be out a little bit of time. And like I said, Boston is 18 and three. Like, have I accentuated that enough? Like New Jersey's 18 and four. Boston is 18 and three. Like I feel like Boston hasn't gotten as much fanfare as New Jersey just because kind of we expected. We've seen it before. But like they're like right now the top team in the league as far as I'm concerned, looking at the win percentage. And so you probably want their starting goalie. And Swayman has been not great. It's like below 900 save percentage on the season. But this might be a great opportunity for him to get a couple games, you know, get some rhythm going. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he'll get that save percentage above 900 with a couple games. So I'd, I'd be interested in him for as long as Allmark is out but again like don't just drop everyone you know to rush to get him because it might only be for a couple games exactly yeah i want the starter on the bruins and the starter on the bruins right like for as long as all mark is out just jeremy's fame and, and he's not no one right like if it was like oh yarrow halak is stepping in as the starter i, I might I feel that's a, a little dicier but i like you elon i don't think uh it's a wild thing to say we're not putting ourselves out on the limb here by saying we think swayman can get his save percentage up above 900 so yeah go grab him if he's available for some boston starts until all mark is back okay next let's go to minnesota 
where Kirill Kaprizov is amazing. He had a goal and assist and nine shots in the 4-3 loss to Toronto on Friday. Uh, that brings him to 11 points in his last eight games. Kaprizov is pacing for 98 on the season. So he's very good. Okay, I don't think we have much to discuss with him. Uh, if I recall correctly, though, we did bring up concerns with Matt Boldy in the last episode. He was in a bit of a cold streak, and he responded big time. Goals in two straight and also two assists versus Winnipeg as well. So he's got, like, what is it now? Four points in his last two games. Boldy's been on the top power play with Goudreau and Greenway at even strength, uh, which isn't a very exciting even strength line, but obviously you love having a guy on the top power play with Kaprizov, and he's actually pretty, it's not like an Addison situation where he's on the top power play, not producing, at least recently, you know, he scored that goal. Uh, so Brian, what do you think about Boldy? Like, let's say we were to compare him to Taylor Hall for the rest of the season. Like, as we were concerned about Boldy, he's actually doing something. Hall did have seven shots in his last game, for what it's worth, to say something nice about Taylor Hall. Uh, but yeah, let's wrap a bow on our Matt Boldy discussion after we saw him struggling, and now it seems to have broken out of it a little bit. Before I get to Boldy, just like one quick shout out to Kirill Kaprizov for not letting his fantasy managers panic too much. Like Minnesota was not scoring, but Kaprizov is still pacing for 98 points on the season. So good for him. Way to way to get yours, Kirill. Um, that's really helpful. As for Matt Boldy, I mean, one of those scoring draughts was where Minnesota had 12 goals over seven games. Now over the last three games since that drought. They have 11 goals, so up to over three goals per game after being under two goals per game for a pretty long stretch. And it's nice to see that Matt Boldy is getting in on goals now that goals are being scored and we can like properly evaluate, okay, yeah, who's good? It's like in St. Louis, right? When you were asking me, the whole team's cold, do we give up? The answer is no. You see who's going to start pointing on goals once they once they start coming, because they're going to start coming at some point. So it's good to see Matt Boldy getting in on those. I still don't love his five-on-five situation, uh, which like is it's not great, right? You mentioned he's playing with uh, who? Freddie Gaudreau. I keep, I keep forgetting who the other guy is. Uh, it's recently outjured uh, Jordan Greenway. Okay, yeah. Well, exactly. He's the other guy. So Boldy's going to have to keep producing on the power play, which he has. Three of his last five points have come with the man advantage. So we'll see. Like, we talked about Boldy and how without Fiala... He's going to have to be the one to make the line work. And he was at the start of the season and then he wasn't. So the question is still, the jury's still out on whether Boldy can make a line productive by himself, but he still has that power play deployment. If you want to hold him while we find out, Elon, I would take Matt Boldy over Taylor Hall. I would, I would make that swap. Yeah, me too, for sure. Uh, then let's also mention that Sam Steele is still centering that top line with Kaprizov and Zuccarello. Hadn't really been doing much with it. He had a good one goal, one assist game versus Carolina like last week. And then I see today in this 4-3 win over Arizona, Steele actually scored a goal. Uh, assisted by Kaprizov and Brodeen. Oh, who's back? Brodeen was injured for a little bit. But anyway, uh, yeah, so I don't know. To me, he's like a super deep league guy, but like uh, always a great opportunity. Like it's weird because I should be more excited, I feel like, about someone centering the top line. But I just feel like you add him and it could change any game now. But while he's there, like definitely an opportunity to score like he did today, right? Yeah, it could definitely happen. Like uh, he's the latest in a long line of guys who haven't been terribly impressive, even with great deployment. So um yeah, I guess I'm yeah. not racing. I'm not racing to him. But good to know uh, that he's there. I've, I haven't even actually named Sam Steele for anybody wondering. You know, sometimes we forget to actually say the player's name. Yeah, it's good to know he's there. It's a good piece of information if you want to stream him while he's still there. But I would honestly check before you stream him. Is he still there? Because as you mentioned, I think he could be cycled off pretty easily. 
Yeah, even mid-game. Well, of course, you won't be able to respond to that. Uh, Next up, let's go to Vancouver. JT Miller, so good. Uh, He had a bit of a slow start, but he had a goal and two assists versus Vegas on Saturday. Vancouver's playing again today versus San Jose. They're like halfway through the game. And yep, another assist for JT Miller, assisting on a Kyle Burroughs goal. So there you go. Miller able to get points with anyone. Uh, He has, I guess now, 10 points in his last eight games, over a point per game. Great. And obviously it helps because he's playing with noted insane goal scorer Bo Horvat, who's scored in three straight games going into today. So it'll be fun to see if Horvat can keep that going. The top three goal scorers right now in the league going into today, Robertson, Horvat, McDavid, in that order. So uh, exactly as expected, right? And then, like we said, Austin Matthews way down the list. Brian, who's going to end the season with more goals, Bo Horvat or Austin Matthews? <laughs> It's a great question. I mean, I don't disbelieve in Bo Horvat at all. We lauded him the last time we talked about him saying Bo Horvat is a great goal scorer who doesn't get enough play for being a great goal scorer. I don't know. What's the what's the can you remind me what the current tally is? Okay, I actually don't have it in front of me. So I'll get that <laughs> okay. in a sec. How about let me move on to the next I'm question looking- and you look it up. Okay, sure. Okay, so uh, I want to talk about the goalies very quickly. Spencer Martin with a very good game on Saturday. One goal against on 27 shots versus Vegas in a big win. And that followed a 4-3 win versus Colorado, where he stopped 33 of 36. So Spencer Martin is being trotted out against the top teams and winning games. Demko, meanwhile, as we know, has struggled quite a bit. Demko is playing today uh, versus a much easier opponent in San Jose. No, no disrespect. Uh, but... Uh, he's doing good so far, right? It's one nothing. So he's stopped 14 midway through the second. Uh, we had a question from, let me try it, The Master Holt on our Discord. Just Elon, asking, it's, it's the maestro. The maestro with an H-E-A-U-L-T. It's like there. a French, yeah. Like cool. a French, yeah. I mean, I assume. Maybe, right. maybe Elon's got it right. The maestro. Cool. Well, yeah. the maestro asked Demko, how long is too long to wait for a rebound? Like already there were reasons for concern. And now Spencer Martin is looking like someone that the Canucks can depend on and they don't need to like ride Demko hard. So maybe even if Demko is bouncing back, we're closer to a 50, kind of like a situation in Seattle, right? Where we've come to learn that Martin Jones is someone that the Kraken can rely on. So even if Grubauer bounces back a bit, they'll probably just go 50-50. So I'm not saying we're there yet in Vancouver, but I don't know. Another reason to not be so excited about Demko, though, like I said, he's having a good game so far right now. And how many good games, Elon, would it take for you to be like, oh, yeah, Demko's fine? Not, not, I don't know. Though, like, he just stopped say- 14 shots. Do you, don't you already feel good about Thatcher Demko going forward? No. Well, I'm worried now that the Canucks are seeing that Spencer Martin is a good goalie, and maybe they'll go closer to 50-50. I feel like we're overstating how great Spencer Martin has been. Right? He's had, he has a 907 save percentage so far. Uh, he is playing higher above his expected number at five on five than Demko is. Demko's been like average, and uh, Martin's fifty-five. Uh, what did we decide on? Save points, basis points above his expected number uh, for Fenwick save percentage. But honestly, I think this might be good for Demko to have somebody else in the picture, not to push him, but just to give him a breather, let the guy catch his breath. Remember last year when the Canucks were down in the dumps? Elon Thatcher Demko uh, was an eight ninety-eight through thirteen games. Uh, and that was going to, up until November 17th. And uh, the rest of the season, Demko put up a 919 
save percentage through the remaining 51 games. That includes a, a pretty rough March and April. So really recovered just fine. And guess what? Demko has just played his 13th game. Tonight is his 14th. Um, he played his 13th on November 21st, had an 883 save percentage up to that point. So we'll see if the 18th game turnaround happens again this season for Thatcher Demko. I, I don't know if it will, but I think it's going to it's going to come. Like, I don't think Vancouver is giving up on him. And the plan is to, like, gently pass the baton to Spencer Martin, even as a timeshare goalie. He's been good. But like I said, not great. Uh, I think the the goal is to get them, Thatcher Demko going in Vancouver. And I expect him to recover and bounce back at some All point. Right. All right. Yeah. So the maestro, to answer your question, Brian is saying the question was, how long is too long to wait for a rebound? It's like not it hasn't games. been it hasn't <laughs> been long enough yet. Maybe eighteen games. So yeah, check yeah. back in in a couple of weeks. Uh, okay, so and let's see how Demko does for the rest of this game. And also, I'm seeing in the chat here, Shams is saying Shifley scored again. Ooh, I like that, Brian. Can I just give a quick update on my uh, very close couple matchup? I, or is that, I wish or is you that, would. Or is no, that I've boring content? To, I've been dying know. to know. So I'm. It's playing more against, boring if you're asking permission to do it. That part was boring. I see. Yeah. Well, I'm playing against Phil right now. And I just got a goal from Shifley, according to Shams, though it's not, it hasn't shown up yet. Shams, were you trolling me? Anyway, right now I'm winning 212 to 208. And I could really use the Shifley goal because my opponent, Phil, here has still Brady Kachuk and Kevin Fiala going in the late game, and I don't have anybody. So I need to build a bit more of a cushion here. And that uh, Shifley goal is still not coming through. So Shams might be my ops if this goal doesn't come through soon. He made me excited for no reason. But okay, next up uh, here, how could Shams ever be my ops with all those great retweets for GameDayTweets.com? What's, what's oh, they're giving ops? it to... Uh, you know, Brian, get get with it, okay? The, you, you have to learn... You're a teacher. You're with young people. You're ops. You're your enemy. It's a it's a very common phrase. Look it up on the internet. Amongst who? I'm the, yeah. You just said, I'm the one with young children. I haven't heard it. Look, look, man, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I'll, I'll look it up after for you. I I'll spend find... my days around school-aged kids. Ask them. They'll know. It's okay. a very common I phrase will. going on. Go, go on TikTok. But okay. <laughs> uh, where do we want to go here? So Josh Archibald, Sidney Crosby. We already talked about those guys, I guess. We talked about Archibald with respect to Ryan Paling doing well. Oh, yeah, Evan Bouchard had a big game for the Oilers. Two goals versus the Rangers on four shots. Before that, he only had one assist in 10 games. Is this the start of uh, something here? Or is this like a Pulak-esque dead cat bounce, one good game, and then it'll go back to nothing again? I think uh, Evan Bouchard is better than the 31-point pace he's on now, which is, I think, the same as Pulak is on, but I didn't say he's much better than that. Um, so I think Bouchard beats that, but not by a ton. Like, he's still on the second power play unit. Uh, his 5-on-5 five five ice time has also taken a step back. Like I don't know if you noticed, but Bouchard is playing 60 seconds fewer a night um so that's that's a bit of a bummer um you know but so long as Bouchard is on the second power play unit like yeah we can't get too excited scoring should come a little more regularly for him than it has to this point like Bouchard is sporting an on-ice shooting percentage below five percent at five on five so there's room to regress and grow here for Bouchard maybe to be a 40 point guy but I'd say that's about as much as you could expect from him so long as Barry's holding down that power play one quarterback role Okay, yeah, I think I agree with you. But of course, 
Uh, people on our Discord are saying that it's any day now that Bouchard is going to take. He's looking good. Like, like the Oilers fans in there are saying, like, I think that Bouchard is about to take that job. So you never know. I guess it's all. This is up to Jay Woodcroft, right? And he'll decide Evan Bouchard's fantasy value, which makes it very hard for us to do it. Uh, Brian, I'm on uh, dailyrapfacts.com. And uh, ops, it was popularized in Chicago by Chicago drill rappers. And it means opposition or enemies. And ops is short for opposition. Okay, but you, so what part of that is novel to the discussion? Are you trying to say because it's on this website that I, I it's am being, not with All it? right, well, uh, okay, so Meek Mill, uh, it's listing a bunch of rappers who are using I know using rappers, I listened, I, I Well, I know you clearly weren't music. listening closely because you would have heard the term in the lyrics of these songs. I mean, maybe I have heard it in a song and I just... Okay, so there you go. Now you know. The more I, you know... I, I don't. I think <laughs> when I speak to students tomorrow, to, to school aged youth, that'll be my. That'll well, be I'm not, my. That'll I'm talking be our more like bellwether. T- I guess teenagers. I don't know about these. Like oh, uh, oh so you're, you're moving the goalposts here. Well, I, like the youth, like the, that matter. Not like little kids. <laughs> they don't matter. What like are you talking that, about? Like, people are trying to sell stuff to you know. <laughs> like, don't tell me what eight year olds are saying that are like watching whatever their parents make them watch. Elon like, Shams, people... <laughs> Shams in the Shams has a chat has a question in the chat. Can you explain <laughs> drill drill rappers? I don't know what that <laughs> drill music progressed in American mainstream. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do circa that. twenty twelve, following success of rappers like Chief Keef, Lil Durk, Lil Reese. Fredo Santana. Who all use ops. <laughs> uh, where are we here? Going to Colorado. Uh, Josh Manson. Another one of these defensemen having a random good game. This happens sometimes, I guess. But he had a huge game versus Dallas. Uh, one goal, one assist, five shots, four hits, two blocks. Imagine if he did this all the time. He'd be, a, he'd be like the next Jacob Chikrin. Uh, but anyways, I, I'd imagine I don't even need to ask you about Josh Manson. But we will mention since we're in Colorado here, Evan Rodriguez is out for a bit. So JT Comfer took his top power play spot. And uh, Comfer's had two power play assists at least a couple games ago versus Vancouver. Nothing on Saturday versus Dallas. Uh I was mentioning earlier, like I guess in part one, that with Evan Rodriguez out, these Colorado line combinations are like not that exciting. Like this does not look like a deep team. Like the top line, McKinnon, Rantanen, and Lekkonen. So that's good. I think the next line is Comfer, Cogliano, and Logan O'Connor. Or is it Newhook with Cout and Dryden Hunt? No, that, that, that Newhook was a demotion. Yeah. Okay. So Comfer is second line and top power play then. So anyways, any interest in JT Comfer? Also, I have a confession to make. I oftentimes hear JT Comfer and think Alex Kerfoot and vice versa. I always forget which one's on Colorado and which one's on Toronto. Well, because they both used to be on Colorado and they were practically interchangeable, right? They would trade spots. They were the only other center that Colorado had in those days where they had no depth, right? It was McKinnon, Landeskog, Rantanen, and nothing, nothing else at all. So we wanted Kerfoot or Comfer, whoever's on the top unit. And if they ever split those top three, you'd want the guy that was the third piece on that line. Um, what's the question here? Josh Manson? No, Evan forget Rodriguez? about Josh Manson. I'm, at, I'm talking about Ker, uh, Comfer. <laughs> Is he uh, someone <laughs> that people should be interested in now that he's on the top power play? Yeah, I mean, as before, right? I mean, we were uh, like, this is, it's been a few years, right? Since Kerfoot and Comfer were in this position and we could we saw them get points and be rosterable for that time. So yeah, you want to you want a Colorado top power play guy? Go for it. Fill your boots with JT Comfer. It's not guaranteed. It's a it's like an Alex Kalorn type move, you know? 
Oh, well, I would definitely prefer Alex Killor, and I'll say I think it's more like an Evan Rodriguez type Oh, me too, for the five-on-five. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you were into Rodriguez before, now you're into Comfer. Otherwise, probably not so much. Yeah. Yeah, fair. All right, what do we want to do here? Okay, TJ Oshu, we discussed. Again, I'm going down this list of top cupful point producers on Friday, Saturday. Next up is a couple sends. Uh, Matthew Joseph and Derek Broussard both had multi-point games from line three versus Anaheim on Friday, but I won't ask you about them, Brian, not to waste your valuable time. But since we're on Ottawa, worth noting, Thomas Shabbat is back. He had a power play assist in his return, along with two shots, two hits, a block. So great to see. Obviously, back to the top power play. Jake Sanderson picked up an assist at even strength in that game and also did pretty well in the peripherals four shots two blocks sanderson scored a power play goal in the previous game versus vegas back when he was on the top power play before shabbat came back we were like interested in sanderson when shabbat was injured with shabbat back do people just drop jake sanderson or the fact that he's pointed in his last couple of games getting these peripherals is he worth a hold do you think jake sanderson was rostered in a lot of leagues already when shabbat went down so I think in those leagues, you keep him. And in the leagues he wasn't already rostered, you drop him. Like, they, there's still production to come, especially as the Sens, like, if and when they continue splitting their top two power plays that Sanderson still gets, like, a pretty solid share of power play minutes in those in those scenarios. So in that case, yeah, you'd want him. Uh, he plays a lot of minutes. Not a great peripheral getter, but occasionally will get you a point. Like, good as, like, a fourth or fifth defenseman type, maybe even a sixth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the peripherals, and it does seem like he has a lot of talent. So uh, he just needs to help Ottawa stop letting in so many goals, and then the Sens can maybe be a good team one day. Ottawa's playing tonight, by the way, against LA. So we'll see how we, you'll know another game of data, dear listener. Uh, after when you listen to this podcast, after you see what Ottawa does versus LA. Uh, next up, uh, Seth Jarvis is here on the list. We called him a snoozer a long while back, but actually he's back on the top line recently, playing with Aho and Natchez, which is a really great spot. And he scored a goal and took four shots on Saturday versus calgary so if he holds that top line spot he's kind of interesting to me he also had an assist the game before he's still not on the top power play he started the season again we're talking about seth jarvis he started the season on the top power play uh he's being blocked right now by stefan nason who's still there and nason's actually doing pretty good he has two power play points in his last couple of games so i don't think that's going to change anytime soon brian who do you think gets more points between jarvis and nason next week like carolina's playing three games who's going to do better the top liner or the top power player it's a it's a real toss-up between seth jarvis and stefan aka steve nason i think i'll lean towards jarvis just because you know there's more time on the ice with the with the with the top line than Nason has uh, on the ice with the top power play. Yeah, Nason's like enough. been pretty hit and miss in that spot, which is exactly what you'd expect. So um, yeah, give me give me Jarvis. Although I'm not I'm not that excited. Although he does have 11 shots over his last three games, so that's that's promising. Yeah, he's a guy who was drafted in a lot of leagues this year, and for a reason, right? He has a pedigree. Right. Top he's line, top-, top power play was the expectation, and yeah, he still- he spent a little time there. Mm-hmm. And now he's back on the top line. He still has that pedigree. It's always possible this is the moment that he's finally going to start to do something. So I wouldn't completely ignore him. I don't know if I'm like rushing to grab him now, but I'm watching him for sure now that he's producing again. All right, next up, we have a bunch of guys we already talked about. Teddy Bluger, Brandon Saad over in St. I guess we didn't talk about Saad, but come on. He's, a, he's one of these St. Louis guys. We'll see what the deployment is again after these injuries or we get the new lines with this Shen injury. Uh, Nason, uh, Michael Bunting. M- Bunting, a three assists over his last couple of games, we said when he was super cold, we said on the podcast, I think Brian, we can take credit for this one that uh, Michael Bunting is someone that will probably get back in the top six, probably back with Matthews and he'll probably start producing again. 
And I think anyone who grabs him is going to thank us, right? Because he's doing pretty well. Yeah, he was in free agency and I didn't have the move to make for him um, when he was available in my Kukopful division. I'm very, very sad about it. I did try to trade, I I tried to trade for him, uh, but he got like an assist, like as I sent the trade offer. Ah. So I think, yeah, I assume he's just gone, like not available to me for the season. Oh, well, good job if you've got him. Yeah, he's, um, yeah, he like, again, to repeat, last year he had 65 point pace, right? 63 points in 79 games. Right now he's only pacing for 46. I don't know if he hits like 65 again, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's like 60, you know, like close there. Like like he's on this great line. Hopefully it lasts. Right now it's with Matthews and Nylander instead of Marner, but whatever. You're with Matthews, it's going to be good. Brian already told us why he's not too worried about Austin Matthews. Okay, next let's go to a guy we haven't talked about too much this season. Andre Burakovsky had two goals versus Vegas on Friday for Seattle, following a one-goal, two-assist game versus the Sharks on Wednesday, which brought Burakovsky to 20 points in 20 games. That's right, point per game, Andre Burakovsky. And Seattle's playing today against Anaheim, and I believe Burakovsky's at it again. Uh, Yeah, he has an assist. So now 21 points in 21 games so far this last game isn't even over yet he's really good like brian how big of a steal is burakovsky like he was signed for five years at only 5.5 mil and he seems like the top like offensive producer on this seattle team i'm just curious to know if you think this guy's like i know you've always been kind of into him but i always thought him was like more of a secondary producer when he was on colorado and on washington i didn't know if he had it in him to be like kind of a driver like this but it really seems like yeah, he's doing really well on this line. And I wonder if he's going to be able to keep it up all season. That's the, uh, like, yeah, that's the, that's the problem. He's had, he's a, Burkowski has had to change that conception that he's just riding coattails in Washington with, a, you know, getting exposure to Ovechkin on the top power play or in Colorado, just being around an incredible group of players with, uh, like, with Kadri, right? It's like everyone else is doing it. Burkowski isn't. Um, but in Seattle, like, it's amazing. It's crazy to see that Seattle can support a point-per-game player. It's great to see that it's happening. Uh, and it's not surprising that it's Andre Burakovsky. It's not so surprising. He was a 65-point player in Colorado, and now he has a power play role where he's thriving. Eight power play points in 20 games for Burakovsky. On top of that, he's shooting more at 5-on-5 five five and on the power play. He's added a shot per game on average to get to three shots per game. Um He's participating a little much uh, more than I could expect him to continue in the points that are being scored while he's on the ice. But that still means that I think he's still got 70 point potential here. Um, and he could still continue to surprise us and do better. Like Wierkowski was already a legit top sixer. And this is the first time that I think he's really been given the opportunity to prove that he is like a top line player, even though Seattle, it's funny for me to say that because they have like a top six or even top nine Um Anyway, we were going to talk about Brock Besser earlier in the show, and we didn't. Um, but I had a note here that okay. I would trade. Uh, I trade Brock Besser for Andre Burakovsky. You'd rather Burakovsky? Yeah. Yeah, Besser is interesting, actually. I guess I skipped him for time, but we might as well go and talk about him because, well, he's on like a great hot streak, but he's been bumped from the top power play for Kuzmenko. So I wonder if it's the kind of situation where Besser's going to likely cool down a little bit, like he's been getting points in like every game. Uh, so yeah, I guess. And also like Besser was on the third line. Actually, uh, Vancouver's playing right now against San Jose. So we can look at what the lines have been so far through a period in a bid. And I'm seeing, so it's been uh, Patterson with Mikhaev and Kuzmenko. I'm over here on Frozen Tools. Uh, and then Horvat with Miller and Hoaglander. Yeah, leaving Besser to play with Connor Garland and Sheldon Dries. Dries or Dries? I don't know. Stinks. Yeah. You know, it's not great for Besser. He's down two minutes a night at five on five, let alone losing 
top power play opportunity. Um, he's been shooting like five or six percent at five on five since the start of last season, which, you know, I'd say, oh, well, that's going to regress. But this year, Besser's expected goals rates are lower than ever. And I actually don't know that Besser deserves much better than the one five-on-five goal he scored on 26 shots. He has a, he's had this nice run of assists, but he's also participated in 90% of the five-on-five goals scored while he's on the ice versus his usual 60%. So like with with five-on-five numbers that are propped up by this high participation rate, I think Besser's going to need that top power play role. Like, I know his score sheet numbers look good. Like, Besser's pacing for 77 points, and this is a very negative edit for somebody doing that well. And maybe there are some systems and contextual things and factors that aren't helping Besser that could eventually swing back into his favor, like coaching. But off the top power play... Uh, like even if it's just like going back and forth between being there, if Besser's there for three games and off for three games, I'd be nervous about that. And I might look to sell him while I can for a 70 point guy, let it, let Besser be someone else's stress. And I think I would, uh, I'd consider Burakovsky a pretty decent trade candidate. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I would do that. Uh, I think it's a really keen observation. You probably don't have much time uh, if you're listening to this. And if Vancouver wins today and it looks like they're going to stick with these lines, then you probably only have a couple games before people will realize that Besser is not going to be able to produce the same way uh, with this deployment. So that's a shame. Uh, But anyways, we were talking about Burakovsky on Seattle and I was going to bring up how Philip Grubauer had his first game after coming back from injury. He led in two early goals. Brian, I added him. So I had uh, Martin Jones and then I figured, okay, I guess I'll... You know, I needed a, I had an opening for a goalie start on Friday. And so I figured, whatever, now it's a 50-50. So I'll just like swap Jones for Grubauer to get the start. And then I'll probably end up dropping Grubauer. Anyway, Grubauer led in a couple early goals. And I was like, you know, kicking myself like, oh, what am I doing to myself adding Grubauer? And then he ended up actually having a good game. He didn't let in any more goals. And Seattle ended up pulling off a really big win versus Vegas. And now I'm looking today. And while we've been talking, Martin Jones is not doing well. He's let in now four goals against Anaheim. We're almost on the second period here. I'm seeing four goals against for Jones on 19 shots. That is not good. Uh John Gibson also not doing good. Well, that's that's old news. That's I old mean, news. It, it's also old news for Martin Jones, but there was newer news saying that Jones could do better. Um, but giving up four to Anaheim, uh, and what are they in the second period? Like yeah. Anaheim hasn't scored four goals. I'm just looking at their game log now for it's been nine games since they last it. They had a, a run of games where they scored five, five, six, four, but aside from that, they have they're not a good goal scoring team. So when you're giving up four to Anaheim and it looks like Andy in the chat is mentioning a couple were real stinkers too. That is, um, yeah. I like, I I have Martin Jones in a couple and I am considering based on this performance, like I assume Grubauer is going to get the next start. Um, that's at LA on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. If my calendar's right. And then, uh, yeah, plays on a bit. Maybe if Grubauer stinks and Jones gets back in on a busy night on Thursday, we might already have two goalies. And then Saturday, Seattle plays again on another busy night. I don't know. I think Martin Jones might be uh, just about done on my roster. Yeah, let him go, man. I'm excited, actually, that I let him go and didn't let him eat me in this bad game. And now uh, I'm kind of excited to have Grubauer again. Obviously, like I know what this is going to likely lead to. But now that I have Grubauer, who I was totally planning on dropping like next week, I'm just like out of moves. Uh, but now I'm, I'm going to hold, see how he does against LA. Maybe he can be the Grubauer who I drafted that I thought could be the starting goalie on what should be a good team. But obviously, <laughs> I know it's likely not going to happen. The but, eternal hope for Philip yeah. Grubauer. Elon, one more thing before we close out the show. Actually, two more things because I, I, f- I forgot 
the do Horvat, the Horvat Matthews thing. Seventeen mm-hmm. ten is the lead that Horvat has over Matthews in goal scoring. I think Matthew could could overtake. Yeah, I think he could. Yeah, I think there's a decent. He's got a decent shot. Yeah, Matthews is very very good at scoring goals. I think he will. And then the other one was in Tampa. Um, we we moved past them before. Um, like you had taken a note on Hedman and like that he's still off the top power play. Should we be concerned? And like last week we were like, yeah, you should probably start getting concerned and like be sweating that. Um, and I put a tweet out to uh, Eddie in the yard, who is uh, what's it, Eduardo Encina, who covers the the Lightning for the Tampa Bay Times, asking like, what's what's the deal? Like, what is it if Hedman comes back or when Hedman comes back to the top power play unit? And I got a very helpful response from someone oh. who follows both us and Eddie. Uh, so Michael G uh, responded uh, with his opinion, which is that uh, Hedman doesn't get the job back until Sergachev loses it. Like it's Sergachev de facto. Right now, so this is this is a fan, somebody who watches the the lightning a lot. But honestly, it makes a lot of sense to me. This this seems to be the situation to me. I'm looking for more, uh, like inside info. Um, but Sergachev has like he's played well there. Uh, the power play is doing well. The lightning aren't mired in like some losing stretch. And Mike Michael also made the point that the longer that that doesn't happen and that Sergachev stays there, the less likely it becomes that Hedman ever earns it back and and ended his thoughts by saying scary times for people with Hedman on their roster. So yeah, I agree. Like I'm not, I think last week you asked me if I'd buy low on Hedman and I, I think I balked. A I little. think I asked you if you would trade Sergachev for Hedman. And I think you might've said yes, but I think at this point I would probably rather Sergachev, right? Yeah. I think I would. Like I might, I might try and buy high on Sergachev, but I don't think you're getting to do that. I think, uh, I think a line has shifted here. And anyway, we'll see. If we'll, we'll see if we get some beat input on uh, on what's going on in Tampa. Still, we'll keep you all. We'll, we'll keep you all posted. We'll but do our best. It's, it's it's looking dire for anybody who's relying on Hedman for big power play contributions. Well, and also for even strength contributions, like he only has one point in his last eight games overall. Like Tampa lit uh, up St. Louis and he yeah. didn't get a point. Yeah. Like, uh, Sergachev, by the way, is only 24 years old. It feels like he's been around forever. This might be like one of your last opportunities to get him for like relatively cheap, even though he's doing so well, like in a keeper league. I wonder if now, like, do you think Sergachev is maybe like now a headman? And we just don't realize it yet. And like, I think the, the second head, the second Sergachev lands on that top power play unit permanently. He, yeah, I like like Hedman, I'm, that's like three or fourth top defenseman in fantasy. Like, is that like? Do you think that that's where we we could be at with Sergachev? Like before too long. Yeah, I think I'd have to take a closer look at like Sergachev has never been a huge peripheral getter or shooter, right? And I don't. Yeah, think that's, that's the problem. He's still only taking like one or two shots a game. So yeah. I don't think he'll ever be a headman, but he might be like a whatever, a high up guy, <laughs> yeah. like someone you want. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Mm. Anyway, definitely a situation to watch. Sorry to anyone, including Lewis, who has headman because that's a bummer. I was complaining about Chris Letang before, and I'm still like not so happy with Letang, but I definitely happy to have Letang and not headman. So it could be worse. Uh, who else did I want to talk about today? I think I'm pretty much done here. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to bring up some Calgary guys. So, you know, I'm going through the list of players who've gotten points in the last couple games. So, obviously, I wasn't going to bring up anyone on Calgary because they only have, like, three goals over the last three games or something like that. Like, they're doing nothing. Shams wanted us to talk about them. 
Uh, he said, curious about Toffoli or basically any of the big guns in Calgary. None of them seem to be getting points lately. I'm looking over the last three games. Blake Coleman is the only one to have three points. And they all came like actually no four games in the last four games. Blake Coleman has three points to lead the team. And all three of those points came in a game versus Philly four games ago. Uh, since then, yeah, only three goals over the last three games for the Flames. Uh, going back further, like Toffoli, Huberto, Kadri, like they're all not doing much for a while now like Lindholm was like super hot before going quiet over these past four games uh Brian is this like kind of like what you were saying about St. Louis and like some teams like when they're just all doing badly then you're not worried about anybody or are you starting to get worried about the Toffoli's and Cadres and even Huberdeau's of the world I mean Huberdeau I like so yeah it is it is partially that like don't worry all the Flames have only scored three times so there's not a whole lot of points to go around and we'll judge these guys based on when their team does start scoring but Huberdeau, like I saw like something like Daryl Sutter's feeling more comfortable with him. He wants to give him more opportunity. His ice time is still like not awesome. And he only has three shots over these last three games, including a game where he had none at all. This Kadri, he's had eight shots over his last two games. Toffoli's being Toffoli, he's got two shots in each of the last three games. Um it's not, um, no, it's not exciting. I'm not excited by it. I, well, I'm not going to react too much. I don't think anything has changed from the last time we've talked about either of these guys. Um, it's just a matter of waiting for Calgary uh, and their offense to start clicking and then seeing what happens. But it's a it's a painful wait, especially for anyone sitting with Huberto, who is just, he's doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's on a weird line now. Like, I guess the third line with Coleman, like, I don't know, but they keep changing it around. Obviously, it's going to keep changing. I wouldn't worry about what the lines were in the last game, because since Calgary is not producing, things are going to keep changing. But I guess that's it for uh, the run of players I want to discuss. I guess I could quickly say back to this Kraken Ducks game, Cam Fowler, we talked about him last week. He has another two assists today, He like both on the power play, right? Like uh, this Cam Fowler is for real right now. I mean, maybe not forever, but if he's still out there for you, like I'll repeat what I was already saying last week, like definitely go get him. Like you're getting a top power play guy, Klingberg, I think is injured right now, but he was already bumped from the top power play even like before this injury. So I'll just, yeah, continually interested in Cam Fowler. Or I'm continuing to be interested in Cam Fowler for the short term and maybe now medium term at yeah. this point. Yeah, if he's still out there. Elon, do you remember who quarterbacked? I was trying to think of this as I was getting ready for the show. Who quarterbacked the power play before Cam Fowler in Anaheim? Oh, I do I can't. not. I don't yeah, like I'd have to go. I'd have to research it. Like I'm just looking up. He's been he's been the quarterback. Um I mean aside from last year or the last two years, right? Like Shattenkirk got some time. Um but like since 2010-11, since he was a rookie. Really? It's been for that it's been that long that Fowler has been there. Uh, ever since then, according to Frozen Tools, he's had a sixty-six percent, at least a sixty-six percent no, sorry, not at least a sixty-six percent, at least a fifty-five to sixty-six percent share of power play time. Mm. I think except for twenty fourteen fifty. Sammy Vatanen, right? Sammy Vatanen was there for a little bit, if I recall in 20, correctly. In twenty fourteen. Yeah, well there was the Vatanen versus Lindholm days. Hmm. No, well, like Anthony Solani, <laughs> defenseman, bro. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, maybe it's maybe it's Boschman and Chris Prunker. Oh I don't know. <laughs> Boschman, yeah, yeah. Uh, I like, and I, I, I thought I could research it quickly on the show. I can't find the answer off right. uh, off the top here. Well, just we'll have to ask people to tweet at us uh, to let us know if they know the answer to this question about who was the last top 
power play defenseman quarterback for Anaheim before Camp Fowler got the job, and also to let us know anything else you want to tell us about the show and how you liked it, because we are now at the end of the show. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And yeah, we'd love your feedback. Hit us up. We answer your advice questions on Twitter. We do our best. Uh, but also, we'll take just some general yeah, what do you like? What do you not like? Like we're here coming up with something novel every single week, trying to keep this fresh and interesting. So if you have an idea of how we could do this any better, uh, we're doing the show for you, and we want you to keep listening. So yeah, hit us up. Uh, also, if you like the show and you want to spread the word, help us out a little bit. You can give us that five star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you you know like uh, listen to your shows, or even anywhere you've heard of that people listen to shows and leave reviews. That really helps us, and it like costs you nothing. And if you actually do have like five bucks a month that you wouldn't mind spending you could also support us financially uh, by becoming a patron of keeping carlson which you know is a little bit but it goes a long way because it makes us feel good makes us can feel like we're uh putting out a show that people appreciate and also we give you like a lot of perks you know a lot of these uh podcasts and like creators with patreons they have like a million tiers and they're really trying to squeeze you know as much as money as they can out of you brian and i are just like we don't have time for this like Give us five bucks a month and we're going to give you every perk we can think of, which includes you join our Discord, okay? And Brian and I are super active in the Discord answering all the advice questions there. Uh, you know, we have our patron cast every month. We have these live shows. Like this show was a live show that was just for the patrons. We've had a lot of fun chatting with Andy and Shams and Schwab Squad over here in the Discord, uh, Travis. So uh, that's a perk. The show notes. Like Whenever we think of a perk, we make it a perk for our patrons. And so if you have an idea, by the way, of a perk, if you're a patron and it's not going to be a lot of work for us. We, oh, the couple, by the way, is another big perk. So yeah, we give it all to you. So check it out if you're interested. Uh, and also you get that perk of just knowing you're supporting a podcast that you uh, listen to. And we put out five shows a week for you. So hopefully we th- you think that's worth it. Uh, so keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, Brian, I'm going to be done my little begging segment here. Which is like, also, we're happy. If you just want to listen to the show and not be a patron, like, like we're even just appreciating you being a listener of the podcast don't get me wrong uh but yeah brian with that let's cue the outro music why don't you go ahead and read his credits all right this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dauber hockey and powered by our patrons including our super supporters rob david Derek, ryan tom andrea tyler aaron kevin and of course patty uh thank you to our team of cacupful co-commissions who are keeping this league of like 600 managers and 40 is it 42 or 43 division just like running so smoothly all uh, all thanks to you um and uh, and of course our couple coordinator kevin a bear thanks to you elon and shams for all the great amazing news and lines and goalie news over at gamedaytweets.com thanks to ben and lewis it, it's like it was almost it was american thanksgiving right i'm giving thanks a lot of it uh, for being so great on short shifts at short shifts kk on twitter also to dave Benton and the stream scheme you can follow him at nhl stream scheme logo art by brandonweeb.com outro music by pat roach this episode was researched with help from dauber hockey frozen tools dauber prospects natural statric evolving hockey cat friendly the athletic hockey goldies.org hockey reference hockey viz hockey database elite prospects and yahoo <laughs> great job as always brian this has been a lot of fun uh, and to everyone listening, good luck in your matchups next week. Hopefully this show has helped you out with that. Also definitely check out the stream scheme, which dropped yesterday, where Dave lets you know what are the good schedules and the good players you might want to target from those teams with good schedules. Uh, then, obviously, throughout the week, Ben and Lewis will be dropping their regular Short Shifts episodes. So make sure to be subscribed to get all of this content. And Brian, while people are listening to all these shows and enjoying themselves and waiting for our next mega show next Sunday, what do you recommend they do with their free time? Please, yeah, in your free time, if you want to use it for good, do what you can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone. <laughs>